This show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 115 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. And today is a very controversial day. <laughs> it is. Why, why is it so controversial, Justin? There has been some controversy because of my uh, entreporn post. Right. Well, is it because you use the term porn? Uh, no, I don't think so. Well, what, what do you think? Why do you think it's, it's controversial? Oh, I don't know. You know, it's, it's like if, anytime you make a even a semi-strong statement about something there's going to be people who fall on the other side and um you know that they're going to take offense to it you know you can but i mean a lot of people make statements about a lot of things and they post them to hacker news why did why does this entrepreneur entrepreneur the fallacy that wastes your life end up with 579 points and like just 223 comments of just argument um I think because uh, Hacker News, the, the sole focus of Hacker News is uh, startups, right? And a good portion of that focus is on funded, funding uh, startups or getting funded, right? Yeah. Um, and you, you are essentially saying that that may be the wrong approach, right? So well, kind of what do you expect? <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> right? right. But let's back up here for a second. Yeah. Um, well, let's back up to the let's let's back up to the writing of it, how how it was written and how it was put out. Okay, and talk through that. Go go from there forward, or do, or do you want to even yeah, go yeah, back yeah. further? Yeah, yeah, that's that? fine. That's fine. So so basically, I well, first of all, why did I write the post? Right. right. So I had we had been doing our our blog competition and going along for a while, and I'd been doing various different posts. And what I did was I did a post that was basically about the statistics of people who'd been following me on Twitter, and it was I did this post that basically said. Uh, PHP coders are 42% nicer than Ruby coders. Put that out there. And then I just felt yucky. Like, just, oh my God, is this what I'm going to do to get eyeballs? And it just made me rethink my whole blogging strategy. So you you, you regretted doing what you felt was sort of a link bait post. Uh, Yeah, so basically, and and my, you know, pretty much there has never been a point where I've said, okay, look, I want to say something really serious and honest, how I really feel. (laughs) I mean, there's there's been a couple of posts about that, but... Not so much about life perspective, just more about telling people how to do things or whatever. But I decided, I just made a conscious decision, you know what, I'm going to do a blog post and any blog post I do from this point forward is how I really feel. It's what I think and what I care about. And that's what I'm going to put on this so that even if no one reads it, at least I'm saying what I actually feel, you know? I think that's I think that's a really good lesson for a lot of different mediums. I mean, you you hear you hear that uh, sort of transition happen for a lot of artists. I think musicians, actors, writers, and I think they they a lot of them come to that realization either because they feel like they're not moving forward as an artist or as a um, you know as a as a communicator, a writer, or whatever. And a lot of times they, they, that happens also when they do something that they regret. They're like, why did I make that movie? Or why did I write that crappy book? Or, you know, I, and they realized it was for cynical reasons. It was to make money. It was to get, um, to get something out of it beyond, um, expressing, uh, a, 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 an idea 
or a store or telling a story or, or making music that they really cared about. That yeah. I think for you, which is like, okay, what are your mediums? Your mediums are uh, building software and uh, I guess writing um, on the web, right? And, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's a little overstated to compare it to say being a musician or being a, um, I think it's, yeah. it's very similar. But I, I think but it's I guess, actually very similar. Yeah, but I guess very similar because you were a musician for 10 years, so you mm-hmm. would know if it's the same thing. So after doing something, after just writing a post that you realize in the end that was really just a cynical uh, post, it's like, ah, you know, this will get some... This, I mean, not, yeah. not, trying to, not that I'm trying to pollute... It's a fluff the, piece. Basically, it's a fluff piece. And that's what I was doing. I was kind of doing these little jokey fluff pieces. And as well in the podcast, I, I do tend to take kind of attitude of just making jokes rather than saying how I real, really feel. And it's funny because my, my wife talk, talks to me and says, look, you're kind of presenting this different side to yourself on, on the show. You're kind of presenting this jovial, happy side, but there's, there's this other side of you that isn't really presented. And so she's kind of saying, well, you know, why don't you just be yourself kind of thing? Yeah. You know, okay. I, you know, one thing I'll say about that too, is I don't think there's nothing wrong with, you know, being jovial and, and joking around, but yeah. I think there, you shouldn't not say what you think. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the one caveat to that is that if you don't like someone, you know, you, you, you don't necessarily want to trash them, <laughs> right? But they, that, that's they, private conversation, right? Like, let's just say, you know, there, there are conversations that you have in private, that, you know, that you just wouldn't go out in public because it's, it's oftentimes it's not fair. And, and th- that's like the exception to it, right? Say what you okay. think, but don't go out and trash you know, you let me just quickly say, right, I just, just as a side note, I think that in a show, like in an entertainment experience, which this is, there's, there's, there's a cup worth of saying what you think, right? <laughs> and telling people your, your thing. And I think that you and me, like if, if we reach to pour a little bit amount into that cup, we don't want that cup to overflow, right? So if I was to completely be like that, that would be a bit dodgy because that wouldn't offset you correctly. Right, so I think that's part of the reason why oh, cause, I'm cause a little you bit like, like that. I'm more opinionated. So you're well, you well, you are, and I love that about you. I mean, I think that's fantastic. And so, in, in some senses, I think that kind of keeps me back. But that's completely a side note and irrelevant to the current discussion. <laughs> As we said, the the one person who's who's much more opinionated than me is Amy Hoy. That's right. Yeah, Amy Hoy. Wow, she really that that's it. Yeah, she's totally there. So so the 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 thing, the follow up post that I did, swinging for the fences, which we won't get into right now, but. If you go, if anyone looks at that post swinging for the fences that if you if you read through that and understand that I have basically had a career of swinging for the fences and trying to follow the startup route this this 0.001% success rate and I haven't just half-heartedly tried I have seriously tried if you look through that through the all channels uh, business plan and description document you can see a year's worth of effort there right to 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 get that funded route and what I what I felt was so much frustration and anger at wasting 15 years of my life going down this path and not at not uh, it would have been so much easier if I had just taken the micro business route if I had just gone oh let's just try and do one little business so that I could have got all of the understandings of business rather than gone for this larger thing now of course you know maybe I'm just really thick and I'm you know I'm just someone who would have kept on doing that <laughs> and never learn anything. Maybe, maybe all the other guys out there who go for that big route, they w- are just much better at learning than I am, and therefore they would have a success on their fourth try, kind of thing. But for me, it just never worked out. And what I realized was I should have been doing micro business from the beginning because I would have I would have understood business, and then I could have really got my swing for the fences stuff correct. Right. 
Right. You know, one thing I want to say about the micro business, because, and then I don't know, maybe we'll talk a little about the writing of the first mm-hmm. uh, uh, article, is that I don't think a micro business is a goal, it's a stage. Yeah, okay? exactly. And I think that I don't think that's something that you um, expressed or communicated. No, you're right. And I, I was very ineloquent about that. And, it, and I, can t- I can tell you why that happened. But anyway, keep on going. Yeah, and, and, I, and I don't even, I, I mean, I can see why it's easy not to focus on that, right? I mean, you, you really can only say so much, and you, it wasn't a white paper, you know? No. So you, 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 you're, you're trying to express the main, the, your main thrust, which is like, hey, you, you can be successful by starting small and building from there as opposed to going and rating, you know, um, worrying about raising funding, right? Yeah. All the distraction and that entails. And, and so, okay, if, if you think of it as a stage, you're like, okay, yeah, I mean, I'm not aiming to make $2,000 a month. I'm aiming to, I may be aiming to be building a business that makes a million dollars a month or $10 million a month or whatever. But you get, before you get to 10 million, you got to get to a million. Before you get to a million, you got to get to a thousand. And um, but it's, 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 it's all, yeah, because there's, there's proof at each step along the way. It's like there's, there's a kid called Emil um, who, who is always IMing me and talking to me about startups. And he's always kind of going, he's always swinging for the fences. And I'm always saying, look, your web app, right? You're doing all this stuff to your web app, but what you should really be doing is getting five customers who use it every day. Because if you can actually get five, and I don't even mean customers, I just mean free users. That's, that's sure. customers, is, customers is so much harder, right? Just five free users who think it's worthwhile enough to use every day. And then you know that you've got something that you can build a business on. Because he, he kind of launched it and put it on Hacker News and he said, oh, it's so cool. I've got like 500 people signed up to this. And so a week later I said, does anyone use it? And he's like, no. <laughs> like, exactly so you know it, it first of all you want five people to to prove that five people use it then you want to prove that five people pay for it then you want to prove that it can earn you 50 bucks a month then a thousand bucks a month so it's it, yeah it's a stage exactly like you said and, and, and nothing nothing about start a bootstrapping a startup starting without taking funding by building something small getting some customers getting some revenue growing that revenue None of that precludes taking funding later if you want to. But what it does is it provides a different way to get started. Okay, so like, let's say you're 25 or 22 or whatever. You you don't have kids or a mortgage. You don't really have a lot of financial responsibilities. And the worst downside for you is you're going to be crashing on your buddy's couch for six months if everything goes down, right? Yeah. That's not that. And that's not really, you, you don't have a lot of downside. So you can go out and say, I'm going to try and raise funding. And if the funding doesn't, if I don't raise funding and I spend six months spinning my wheels trying to get something going or, you know, it, it's, it's just not a lot of, it's just a different risk profile. But if say you're, say you do have, you know, three or $400 a month in, um, in student loan payments and you got a car payment and you got a mortgage and you got a wife and you got kids and you got all these things that could easily be part of, or that are part of most people's financial uh, profile their responsibilities a list of you know on their list of responsibilities they can easily just say well i'm going to try this thing and if it doesn't work out no problem because it you know they could be a major problem you know you know financial stress like that financial disasters that are the result of taking big risks are are, are the cause of a lot of, are, are the major cause of divorce so look i i really want to talk about that because uh, but but not just now but one okay. thing i want to say about that is that from from writing these two posts and looking at what's happened, I kind of had a, a sit back and think about this. Mm-hmm. And I've realized that this isn't just something that kind of you and I are going to do and a few quaint people are going to do start micro businesses. This essentially is the future of startups. And in fact, uh, venture capital and incubators are going to be disintermediated. 
and 99.9% of new internet businesses are going to come through our route. And I'll, I'll go into that all later because I want to go through the, you know, build up to that. And I'll, I'll talk through my reasoning behind that afterwards. Okay. But first of all, I just want to get into how we created the post because that was also an interesting experience because every post that I've created before, I've just kind of edited, you know, I haven't edited with anyone else. I've just done it myself. Mm-hmm. And then just before I was about to post it, I, I said, you know, let's, let's have a, can you have a look at this, Jason? Can you go through this with me? And we kind of worked on it together and you came up with some very important points, which were like, because I was so kind of angry, I, I, you know, I said a few different things. I, I'd spoken about how we were like obedient slaves to the system and all this kind of stuff. Right. <laughs> so I, right. I'd, I'd cr- done a, f- a few different arguments and you had this great point about only fighting one battle. And I'd be great right. if you could talk through that. And, and I think that made a huge difference to why the post took off yeah okay so i think like when you write you know you have an idea for an article oftentimes when you put that first version down um you're fighting multiple battles right because you're you're sort of talking about not only the main idea but you're often talking about a lot of related ideas and you make a lot of related points because they're interesting and they're related right yeah but what happens is um when you're trying to convince somebody of something right i mean the, the whole point of these of an article like this is is it's an argument right i'm going to try and convince you of my point or why it's important or why it's interesting right yeah and if you distract them by talking about all this other stuff not only do they may not not only are, you gonna, are they going to not focus on your main point but oftentimes especially if you on a site like hacker news you have a lot of very bright people um who these this this demographic will nitpick the side issues, the side points. So if you, yeah, you, you said that you said, look, don't say that because what's going to happen is people are going to copy and paste that and talk about that for a whole thread. And I was like, no, they won't do that. But then if you look through the 200 comments, that's exactly what happened. They copy and paste individual sentences and then break it down about what it might mean. Exactly. And so it's almost like if you're, if you're in a, if you're in a, um, a courtroom, right. And you're a lawyer presenting your side, you only present your strongest evidence. You present your weakest evidence. You you throw in everything, and what happens is the other side will attack your weakest points, and then by taking, and maybe they don't even really, they might even ignore two or three of your main arguments or main piece of evidence. But if they can just destroy, say, a third or half of your points because of weak evidence, then the um, the jury is going to lose. Um, the, you're going to lose credibility with them. They're going to think, ah, eh, you know what? All this stuff is kind. Of, there's a lot of weakness in here. Well, really, you could have just thrown out, not never presented a third or half of those points so that all you did is present your strongest stuff because that was enough anyway to convince them. And you, you didn't give your opponents um, any traction anywhere to put get a foothold. And you, you were saying things, you know, you said things that made it almost seem like a conspiracy, you know, which was just like, Oh, they keep us down. I'm like, yeah, no, it's the first of all, I think that's true. And second of all, it's, it's going to be, it's, and it's, I was it's only really saying it for dramatic effect yeah, anyway. Exactly. You know? Exactly. It, I thought it was, it didn't really add to the argument. It did. It was just sort of like loose phrasing, and it was just kind of like you just kind of dwindled off and finished a sentence that way. And I was like, ah, I would move that. And you were talking about comparison to the beauty industry and this and that. And I was like, you know what? That's just completely unnecessary. Just don't add that in because it's just I can see I know how these guys think, and they're just going to look at some of this stuff and they're going to be like, this is stupid. This is irrelevant. This is because wrong. Because that was my opening gambit. My opening gambit was a paragraph that basically said, just like in the just like in the beauty industry where where women are basically chasing this I- ideal that is set up by glossy magazines media and beauty companies yeah we we we're chasing a similar ideal and you just said look just just take all of that out like you said i understand it's a simile but it's just it's a side issue that everyone's going to start talking about and it's going to be yeah. it's going to weaken the argument 
I think so. And, and, and that's why editing is so important, right? Because if you can bring somebody else in who, you know, might have some fresh eyes, understands the topic and, you know, is decent at editing, it oftentimes can result in a much stronger piece. I mean, most professional writers have editors, right? I mean, it's rich, rare that professional writers in magazines and in newspapers just write something that just goes as is, you know, to print. But it also brings up the point that you and I, for whatever reason, synchronistic reason, we just, our, our kind of interference patterns work with each other. So you, when you look at something that I output, you can usually help it. And when I look at something you output, I can usually help it because we just have that slightly different way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, do cool. have an, we do have, an, uh, we do have a, an interference pattern, which I think <laughs> is what helps the show is that we like each other, respect each <laughs> other, but we, dis- we tend to disagree on a lot of things. <laughs> but not in any... Not in a way that makes it um, uncomfortable. It just makes for an interesting discussion, I think. Um, and I, I, and yeah, I, I agree with that. So anyway, or at least I hope it makes for an interesting discussion. But um, so what was funny is, you know, I, I was when we were editing. So you were, you shared your um, screen with me, right? You you were, you shared your document just by sharing um, your screen uh, via Skype. Right. Yeah. And I was like, ah, I would take out this. I move the sentence, change that. And after about the seventh or eighth change, you're like. You know what? I feel like we. This is gonna. You're gonna be the one who wrote this. Like I make this change, and I was like, no, no, no. You know, this is just how editing is, right? Yeah. I mean, when you bring in a second person, they're going to change structure. They're going to. They're going to add sentences. They're going to rearrange stuff. That's just how editing works. And um, you know, it's. I I used to edit people's uh, a lot of papers for my friends in college. I I I edited a couple people. Um, and then it got the word got around that I did a good job. Then the next thing I know, everybody's coming in with their paper. <laughs> but would you allow anyone to edit your stuff? Look, because I, I was just thinking, right? Remember when I looked at your piece and I said, God, I can't get past that second sentence, right? <laughs> and so you got up to, you put it to Hack and Use and you got the 400 points, right? Yeah. So here's, here's the thing. You edited mine and, and guess what? You couldn't get past my second sentence and I removed it, right? And mm-hmm. I got 600 points on Hack and Use. I wonder if you had listened to that Maybe you'd have got 600 points on Hacking News as well. Okay, here's a, th- here's a couple things. Well, one, um, I think, um, just this is a side issue. I was thinking about this <laughs> the other day. I think there's a growth in Hacker News. So even over the last couple months, I think um, what was, you know, 450, you know, uh, two months ago might be 520 today. Like, in- yeah. dollars are inflated. Because yeah, we have, seeing- we have this discussion, yeah. I keep seeing posts now hitting five and 600 points, but six months ago, you never saw a thing get over about 300. Yeah. 350, you know, and, and so, you know, when I got 450, I mean, that would have been something a year ago, that would have been like something getting 120 or something. It's just growing. Yeah, so yeah. <clears throat> I, I don't know if you compared apples and apples, I used to, you know, um, okay. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to take away that yet. First of all, you beat me, right? Which is, I think we need to take, go back because about a month ago I was sort of joking. I'm like, ah, we haven't been doing our, um, you know, we haven't been doing our blog competition. You know, what's going on? And you're like, oh, you know, you got 458 points. I'll never beat that. What's the point? And there you yeah, go. I did. I you was like, knocked, there is no point. You just, yeah, you just like gave up, right? You're like, quit. You're like, you know, a part of you just didn't want to compete because you felt like I had just, you know, set a, a, a world record that would never be beaten. And of course, your first serious post that you write since then, and not only do you- 579. <laughs> and it's still on the front page, like two days later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so not only did you ring the bell, you pinned it. You, you, you pinned it all day, pretty much. Was it one or two or three spot? And it kept going. So it just goes to show you that just because, you know, somebody does a good job or does something that's successful, 
and that seems kind of out of reach, it doesn't mean you can't reach there. I mean, you were you were legitimately, you know, disinterested or un, you you did not want to continue with the competition, and then you know you finally did something. And the other thing I'd say, well, thank so you very pretty, thank you very much, and and say say that other thing, and then then I've got something else to say. Okay. Um, the other thing too is that I was going to say about the editing and writing. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, I'm a perfectionist, so I spend a lot of time going, you know, sort of wordsmithing my stuff, right? I rework and I rework and I rework. Your style, I think, you're much more a stream of conscious, uh, a stream of consciousness writer, right? Yeah. Yeah. You just, I just, I can tell by writing, you just kind of blow it out there and you just, and you don't do a lot of self editing. So, well, no, 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 that's, that's not true. I do. It's just that I want it to seem like stream of consciousness. Like if you, if you look at, um, if you look at um, oh, The Office, right? Mm-hmm. The entire, if you look at The English Office, that whole show, it seems like the entire thing's ad-libbed, but it's not. It's very, very carefully and, and specifically scripted to sound like it seems ad-libbed. And that's what I want to put out there because I want to seem that way. So I do put a lot of time into crafting it. It's just it seems like I'm kind of sloshed, you know. I see. I see. So I just, I was going to say, my impression was that you, you know, that you, you know, that it was sort of an early draft that you, 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 you throw something out there in 45 minutes. I'm like, okay, well, let's just rework it a little bit and clean it up. And although in this case, that was true. Yeah. (laughs) Having said what I just said, in this case, that was true. But man and a wire theory, I've spent a week and it doesn't, you can't really tell the difference between man and a wire theory and the way that this is written. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, there's, that's what's interesting about, what's interesting about that, I think is, well, I could tell because there were a lot, I mean, not only were there, were there obvious improvements that could be made into like the argument uh, and, uh, and some of the structuring of, of your, uh, of your sentences, but just the grammar was off and the some spelling was off. I'm like, he clearly spent much time on it. Well, because, that's because you know, I, I missed out that part of the, you know, the schooling years where I couldn't spell, you know, I didn't learn to spell. So I'm just, I've always shit at spelling. So yeah, I noticed that. Well, and it's also the grammar. <laughs> I, your, your grammar. Yeah. yeah like yeah. what? Entreporn comma. I'm like, <laughs> it should be a dash or, you know, a comma. It's not a comma. Like I, I forgot to change that. I was like, by the way, that probably shouldn't be a comma, but you know. So, so, okay. So going back to, well, but that's, that's what's good. I mean, I, I kind of, I'm proud of that. Like I, it's good to me that I don't understand or know the rules of grammar because it means that I can put something out there that it has my unique flavor. But then your point also stands true, which is okay, but now you're fighting two battles again because all the people who understand the rules of grammar are going, eh, what? That's all written wrong. But I honestly, I just don't care about that. Like that, yeah, well, I, that's I, where I, I draw the line. No, I'm going to do it my way. I, <laughs> I, yeah, I, 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 you know, that's where I'd have to disagree with that. I think you have to care because when you speak incorrectly or you write incorrectly, you lose credibility. It's like, you know, when, when people don't know how to use the right tense and they don't know how to uh, spell correctly, you're just like, I don't know. I mean, does this guy even know anything? I mean, and, and I'm not saying that people do that, but it's just, it, it kind of marks you down uh, um, a little bit if, if, you, if there are mistakes. And I, I see it all the time in book reviews. If you go to like Amazon.com, yeah, and there are um, errors in the book, spelling or grammatical errors or any kind or, or factual errors. I mean, people rip it apart and they're just like, I don't know if I can trust any of this book because, you know, I've, I've just, I'm in the third chapter and I've, I've found three grammatical errors. Or something. Well, that's ridiculous because writing is an art form. James James Joyce Ulysses, you can't say that that follows any kind of sensible grammatical rules. Okay, and but it's you like know, one of the that, classic books of all time. I mean, basically, uh, it's an art form. It's like saying, it's like saying Jackson Pollock paintings aren't really paintings. I mean, it's just yeah. stupid. Well, okay. I, you know, right. There are other outliers in art and art's a little different than. Well, I'm an outlier writing. in this instance. That's all, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. So it, it's kind of like this. 
Agree well, no, to disagree on this. Huh? Well, here's the thing, though, is like you have to kind of prove that you know the rules before you can break them. If you just like never know the rules and you're and you're just not following any rules, you just come across as like this guy doesn't really know what he's doing. If you're an artist, like if you're a musician, and I, obviously I don't know anything about music, and you just did everything wrong, you'd be like, dude, this this guy doesn't know anything about music theory. He doesn't know anything about you know composition, and he'd be like, oh, you know, I'm just breaking the rules. You're like. <laughs> You don't know Look, which rules to break. You don't know the rules yet. Here's where I think about it. Can you understand what I'm saying? Am I getting my point across? Mm-hmm. That is the only thing that's important here. Like, like w- at the end of the day, when you walk away with this information and you have a think about it, does it really matter about the grammar on the page? Well, all that matters is that it's relevant to your life and it's, it's something that you can digest and use and find useful or not. That's I don't know. My, it, that's it, my af- it affects me when I, when I, write, when I read stuff that's well written and stuff that's not well written. I, I mean, it, it affects my it's my impression of it. It's like if you meet someone who's who's um, hasn't uh, showered or brushed their teeth or, or you know or you know. Okay. Hair, point point taken. You're like I don't know. Is this guy serious? I mean. <laughs> point point taken. But um, it, it, it's like you, you know, like, like James Altucher. His writing is really tight. Right. Okay. He's a professional writer, and you read everything. Everything I read on his uh, on his all his articles, all his blog posts are great. The good news is you're gonna you're gonna edit everything I I post in future, so oh, that's that's not no an issue. Good, no good deed goes unpunished. Just like I'll do it again. Hey man, Jay, can you like edit my paper? Like, oh, really? so I just wanted to go back to um, HN game theory. Um, you know, our, because essentially we've kind of created our own little game theory around uh, HN, and we've created our own badges. Is what we're doing. Just like <laughs> just like Foursquare has its badges, we've got our badges, and I, I had a little rethink through those badges. So we've got the tip of the hat. Which is like you post something and it, you know, maybe two or three people, five people give it a vote. <laughs> right. We, I forgot about that. This yeah. Okay. We've got good effort. I think good effort is like anywhere from 50 to 100 points. So, yeah. Right. That's like a solid effort. You make it to the front page. That's a solid yeah, effort. Right. Yeah. We've got ringing the bell, which is hitting number one. Right. We've got pinning it, which is hovering at number, uh, hovering at number one or two for like three plus hours. And that's usually a 250 to a 500 pointer. Yeah. And then I think if you go over the 500 points, we've got a new term, hooking a whale. Hooking <laughs> a whale. It's like, yeah, it's like hooking a whale or like, it's like, then, then you get put in like Hacker Monthly or whatever, right? I mean, they like, they, that's like the, that's one of the epic posts of the month. Like it's, it's, it's like, it's, it, it becomes like a, um, like a signpost or, or something. Like these, you can almost remember those posts. Like if you go back and you think, what are the posts you remember for the past year? Well, you can you can see that because they if you go into the lists, there's a little best post link, and it's mm-hmm. Hacker News Best. Is in fact, it's just if you just do the the domain slash best, you get to see all the stories that are like 500 points. And then I was thinking one other little thing we could have is if you've been on the front page for more than 24 hours, you could be a member of the One Day Club. Right. Well, like one thing I'll say. Well, first of all, you're number four on all time best. Oh. Right. Is that right, or is that just for recent best? I think it's recent, recent best. Um, and I, but I noticed that, you know, the couple of the ones that have six hundred point a uh, point six hundred plus is my fellow geeks. We need to have a talk at six hundred eighty eighty one points. I mean, that was only five days ago. And in Patio Eleven's perspective on the Japan earthquake, that six hundred seventy points that was six days ago. So yeah. it's definitely a point inflation going on because um, uh, the, the the growth of the site. Yeah, definitely. More people going on. I mean, you know, things of things that were as popular relative to the size of the audience a year ago would have, like I said, I think maybe three hundred points or something. It's not bad to be number four on that on that list there. So, <laughs> okay, the so, so, so okay, so the next thing I want to talk about this is oh, oh, oh by the way, first by the way, I'll, I'm happy to edit anything. Right, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. I'm, I'm more than happy. So, so the next thing I want to talk about is 
that Paul Graham responded to this in the comments on Hacker News a number of times. Oh. And his first point is like the, the, the highest voted point. And he, he basically copy and pasted the line that I said, where I said, if every developer was to focus on the very achievable, achievable goal of building a lifestyle micro business, the entire house of cards would crumble. Now, what I meant was the venture capital, you know, kind of uh, house of cards. So he says, if that happened, the whole world would crumble because we wouldn't have any technology bigger than could be built by a lifestyle business. Anyone who wanted to build a lifestyle business on the internet, for example, would find there was no internet. You wouldn't have servers or routers or clients or backbones or local cable. Now, to me, I, I am gobsmacked by the naivety of that statement. It just doesn't do make well, okay. any sense. No, no. Okay, so here, here's the thing. This, this, I think what he's saying is, is, is he's queuing off your statement that, or at least your, um, the implication that lifestyle business, building a lifestyle business sort of stops at that level. Right. Okay, because the it post didn't make grow. it clear that it was a phase, right? It doesn't make it as a phase. You start, you, you, you know, like I, I can't. I don't think it Microsoft just, that just goes without saying. I mean, like, like I, I can't imagine. It's so impossible to imagine hundreds of thousands of humans doing something and a couple of them not noticing that there are some bigger problems to solve. It, it just, it's almost like there's not even any point saying that because, well, because you you use loaded terms like uh, lifestyle business and micro businesses. Those those give the impression of start small, stay small. Like micro business to me sounds like what you're talking about is something that's going to make like a thousand dollars a month or five hundred dollars a month. They're going to have some little micro businesses. You're not really trying to build anything. That's what a micro business sounds like to me. Now I don't know. That may mean something different to Rob Walling um, with the Micropreneur Academy. Maybe that mean, maybe that's just a phase two. And lifestyle business is usually a, a derisive um, comment uh, description made by. Um, you know, professional investors, right? Because that's not what they're interested. They're not interested in in people just building a business that makes a small company successful and comfortable. They're trying to look for outsized returns for themselves. So I think those terms, I just, I just think, I think those terms kind of box you in the corner and make it seem that you're only that you're that you're that you're talking about a bootstrap business as. But it's as kind a, of black and white thinking. I mean, it's just it's just <laughs> inherently black and white thing. I mean, look what. Uh, if you look back at who we've interviewed, right? We've interviewed a lot of people. We're, you know, we're 114 episodes in, 115. We've interviewed a lot of people. And there's only one that I can think of who wants to start small and stay small. Or, but the rest of them are all, you know, starting out in the micro-business way. But only Pete, Pete Michaud, at, at the, and even at that time, I think that, you know, the impression I get from him now is it's, he's got a slightly different perspective and different ambition. But right then he said, okay, I'm happy to just stay on this five, you know, this 5,000 a month thing. But everyone else has been like, yeah, yeah, this is where I'm going, and then I'm going to build something bigger, and I'm going to move on. Yeah, I mean, I think yes, but I, I like I said, I, I think um, yeah, it, the reason these these pro, these these terms are problematic is because people have a preconceived um, sense about what you're really talking about, and so um, you know, and that's just it. You know, if 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 you wanted to say, if your title, if you're if you're um, if the title of your post was something like, or at least the subtitle was something like, um, start small, don't get distracted, start small and grow big or something, right? Like, you know, you start small, you build up your customers, but you can go, you can go huge after that. Um, you know, that, you know, or, or even you talked about that aspect of it, then you might have been able to um, sort of head that argument off of the past. But because you didn't really talk about that, you sort of talked with sort of end goal. It sounded like the end goal was $10,000 a month. So a single person could live, could replace sort of a, a salary 
Um, yeah. Then and that's and then they're like, yeah. I mean, how are you going to build? How are you going to build Cisco routers off a hundred thousand dollars a year? So essentially, it's just because it's just I didn't think through the larger argument how people were going to come back at it. I didn't think through it properly, and that's why I then needed to write that second post, which was swinging for the fences, saying, "Hey, look, you know, <laughs> I've been swinging for the fences, and uh, I'm just saying that that's not the right way, in my opinion, to start out. Like, I think it's better to start small and then get big." Yeah, I mean, so here's a here. Yeah, I mean, because when you shared uh, your screen with me and we we worked on your uh, article together, we edited. I mean, we only worked on it for like 15 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe tops. I think yeah. 15, right? So. I mean, so, some of the stuff I think occurred to me, but I didn't really have time to think about it because I actually was running out the door anyway. And you, I, I think you only had patience for a certain amount of editing. You didn't want to spend hours reworking it. I, I didn't have <laughs> right. it anyway. So I, I, but if, when you write stuff like this, I think now going forward, you'll start thinking, um, okay, so what are the attacks going to be? I mean, you almost have to think of it like a, like a strategy game. Like, I'm going to attack my enemy here. Where are they going to attack me? What, what are going to be their countermeasures, right? And then I have to attack well, them. That's, that's, that's another interesting thing that you say that. Because, I mean, yeah, I know that's the perspective that you're saying, you know, pick, pick one fight at a time. But for me, this is nothing to do with fighting or, or telling people how they should live their life. I mean, it's just me saying, hey, I have made a, a lifetime mistake, right? That screwed me up. And hey, I just want to share this knowledge. Like you can skip out 20 years of failure and go straight to the success. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. all I was saying. Well, that's fine. But it's like anytime you make a statement like that, you're going to create a divide. You're going to, people are going to fall on the other side and think you're wrong, right? And, and, and anytime you make a statement of, of like, this is my, even if you're not saying this is absolute uh, universal law, this is my advice to you, that people are going to immediately go, okay, is that true? And just as, a, just as an intellectual exercise, intellectual exercise, right? They may not have a dog in that fight, but they're going to go, I don't know if that's really true, right? It's just because thoughtful people, when presented with a statement like that, are going to want to dissect it and challenge it if it doesn't immediately ring true to them, I think. And you're going to, if you're going to write for an audience like that, then you're going to have to take that consideration. And I noticed that, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, criticisms or the attacks that came to the article, I mean, you got a lot of support. The support outweighed the criticism. Oh, margin, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Margin. Um, nevertheless, it still affected you and upset you. Right. So well, it did, don't, I can I, tell I, you're irritated and you were offended at times. Well, I, yeah, I guess. I mean, but Actually, that's a that's a whole other discussion. Like ringing the bell and pinning it on Hacker News. Don't don't think you're going to get to get any work done, right? You, got, no, you had this I, experience as well. Like, I mean, I just I couldn't think about anything else. It was it was invading my brain. Like, I was just uh, couldn't work for two days because then the the guy Alex Payne did a repost about my post, which then spent the entire of yesterday on Hacker News, right? And so another hundred comments went about it. So I just couldn't think of anything else. But anyway, sorry, I'm interrupted you. Well, yeah. I, only thing I'll say about that though is, um, is, uh, yeah, you're going to say, if you, if you get the, if you, if you, if you bring the bell, you're going to spend at least a day to a day and a half answering comments on your blog and on Hacker News and answering emails. Cause you'll probably get dozens of emails of like support and questions and people wanting to talk to about it to you about other projects or whatever. Yeah. So 
And, and then you're just going to be like watching your post because you just can't get it. It's like watching a stock price that you have a lot of money in. You know, you're yeah. like, you can't stop looking at it. And it's really exciting. And then, of course, you have your friends pinging you on IM or email like, oh, holy shit, man, you know, <laughs> good job, right? It's totally distracting. So a good thing to do it is do it towards the end of the week. So if it bleeds into the weekend, at least it doesn't affect your work anymore. But the other thing I'd say is, yeah, I mean, anytime you're going to, if you're telling a story, right, you, you could tell a story and not expect too much pushback. But if, unless you're talking about here's the lessons I learned from that story, then people may feel like, hey, those aren't those lessons are incorrect, or you know, you you're you're thinking about this wrong. But anytime you, you're writing for the Hacker News crowd, I mean, this is a group of very bright people who like to think and like to argue and like to dissect. So don't put anything out there unless you're willing are interested in a debate because that's what it is. And if it's so, since it's going to be a debate, then what you need to do is think through what their likely responses are going to be and likely criticisms in attempt to account for those in your initial argument. That'd be my Well, I think that that, I think that what I'll do is I'll, I'll write my passion piece and then we'll, I'll do that part of it editing with you because yeah, I'll, I'll go through, I'll say, well, they're going to attack you here. They're going to attack yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, it kind, of, it kind of reminds me of playing command and conquer, you know, this real time strategy game. It's like you, you, you build like an army, right. And then you wouldn't, and then, um, you didn't do an air force or something, and then your um, your who, your opponent builds this huge air force, and, and you you can't really counter it. And you're like, oh crap, okay, so now I got to build an air force, and then comes out the navy, and you're like, oh man, I got to build a navy now. Like you have to be well rounded, and you have to account for all the things you're going to do, otherwise you're going to destroy it. And it's a learning process, right? You put some things out there, and you get smacked around a little bit, and then you're like, okay, I guess you know if I don't want to get smacked around, and I want my argument to hold up, and I want it to be um, something that um, I want the original argument to survive the attacks um yep then you just have to account for those so um which brings me to the the kind of the next post that's essentially i'm ruminating over and i'd like to talk that through with you and brainstorm just Mm -hmm. to see if you think that it's completely crazy but what but what this has made me think about is that there is an inevitable coming disintermediation of venture capital and incubators from the startup culture at large and I think that um, I'd just like to talk about that, if that's all right with you. Go ahead. Let's hear it. Okay. So are you one ready? thing- Do you have countermeasures? Are you ready for my attacks? I'm, oh, I'm ready for your attacks. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, not, not, not brilliantly ready, but a little bit ready. <laughs> okay. So, so what, I'm, what I'm thinking is, I, I'm thinking that, you know, that post was just talking about lifestyle micro business and everyone was saying, mm, that's kind of a quaint little thing to do. That's just like a quaint, nice little thing. But what I'm thinking is, hey, that's not quaint. That is actually going to be the norm. That's going to be the 99.9%. And it's going to, everything's going to get flipped on its head. And anything that's centralized is going to be disintermediated. Because if you, if you think about the internet, the one thing the internet is incredibly good at is disintermediation. And right now, venture capital and incubators represent a chokehold on the system, the, the supply and the demand system. So think about how many people there are who want to build a startup, who want to get that going, right? And right now, it all revolves around launch conference, um, the uh, YC Combinator Techstars, Venture Capital, and everyone's trying to go through that way. But there's this kind of growing subculture of people who's saying, okay, get it out, you know, do something small, um, build it out. And the thing is that if, if you think about it this way, it's like when, flo- when water flows down a path, it's going to find the cracks to flow through. Right. So if the, if we've got like 100,000 entrepreneurs who want to start a business 
and everyone's swinging to try and get this venture capital or to try and get in Y Combinator, but they can't. What are they going to do? They're, they're going to do the next thing that becomes available to them. And it's easy and available to those people to start a business, to start trying to generate some revenue. So there's there's kind of no reason why they actually need, other than the fact that Entreporn sells them that idea and that, that it's that's the kind of idealized cargo cult, cargo cult. There is no reason that they need to go down that path because everything's available to them. Technology is so incredibly cheap, right? So do you want to do you want to say something yet, or do you want me to keep on going because I've got some more points to make about it? Uh, keep going. So, so what I'm saying, I'm not saying that that. Um, oh, okay. I did say just there that incubators are a dying breed, but what I mean is. As we know them, they're a dying breed, right? So incubators and venture capital, as we understand it within the system, is a dying breed. I think that their relationship will change within the startup culture. And and the perfect example of this is the record industry and the newspaper industry. So in the newspaper industry, um, newspapers ha- still have a relationship to the, to the whole news industry and media industry. And in the record industry, record companies still have a relationship. But that relationship is completely different because of how the you know the low costs of musicians to build their own record label and the disintermediation so the record industry is just involved in in a, in a kind of i guess they have a lot uh, uh, <laughs> i wish i was an expert about it but they have kind of a much smaller number of stakes in you know much smaller number of artists where they kind of have everything on the line for those artists kind of thing and and then a much larger piece of the pie is taken off by all of the little, I guess, ants, <laughs> all of the mm-hmm. ants around the world who can carry their own little piece. So it's become, and it's, it's the, if you think about it, the pattern of, it, it's inevitable because it's the, the very fabric of the internet is about disintermediation, right? The way that packets shift around the internet, the way that the, the IP stack works, the way that the whole internet works. There's no one point of failure. Every, we can have, you know, the internet is made up of lots of little internets. And that's basically what we're talking about. We're talking about lots of little lily pads sprouting up. And it's a completely new ecosystem. And also that will bring massive, by the way, that would be awesome for our um, economy. Because rather than everything being centralized through big Facebooks and Googles, we will basically have a distributed hedged economy where there'll be lots of little guys and there'll be much more liquidity in the market. So in a nutshell, what I'm saying is, through the proven patterns of disintermediation, incubators, venture capital, and Silicon Valley will become less and less important to the world of startups as time goes on. Are you ready for my response? I am ready for your response. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I don't think that's necessarily true for a couple reasons. Okay. One, I think that there are different risk profiles where... Uh, that allow for different models to be to work. So if you're young, uh, right out of school or or whatever, and and um, you might, I mean, you much, you'd probably be much more interested in taking funding, taking angel funding, and then working towards getting VC funding because you don't have to work a second job or freelance or anything like that. You can immediately jump into working on your startup full time, right? And you don't mind. Ma- you know, making a, you can do that anyway, because here's, here's the thing. If you have a business idea, generally speaking, your mom and dad are going to let you live with them. I mean, they've already been paying all your bills. You just say, Hey, listen, I just want another year. Yeah. I don't think, 
I don't think most people want to live with their parents. I mean, and maybe in Europe people do that, and in the U.S. that doesn't work for most people. I mean, it's hard to have much of a social life. It's hard to have a real sense of freedom when you're living with your mom and dad, and especially after you know a lot of people go to college, they live in other parts of the country than their parents. You know, I mean, right. I was you know from Atlanta. I went to school in Chicago, and then I moved my startup. We did it in uh, in L.A. You know, so living with the parents, and I certainly didn't want to go back to Atlanta to live with my mom. You know. Yeah, but the but the point is, is that there's a million students looking to to go into a startup and there's only a hundred places to get funding so therefore what happens to the rest of them if only a hundred of them can do it are you telling me those other million don't do anything i don't think i don't think uh there's nearly those numbers i mean there might be a million people who've read a story and been temporarily intrigued by the idea of doing a startup but i don't think there nearly that many people are trying to do a startups or or in any real way the numbers don't matter i mean that in the sense of there is an infinitely smaller amount of money available to go to startups than there is in the number of people who want to do a startup. That's the end point I'm making. Yet there is availability and possibility for all of those people to start a startup through a micro business. Yeah. So why? I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure that's even true. I mean, I think there's always money for good ideas. And I think if there's people out there who have a good idea and can, you know, you can always build a prototype. You can always build something simple on your own. Um, on the side time, you know, that's there's it's, it's a big difference in creating a simple prototype or in getting some, te- you know, 100 beta users, then, you know, that's that's completely different than, say, getting a, you know, a, a thriving small business. Um, and so people can do that on the side, even while they have a job or while they're still in school or whatever. But um, I don't know. I mean, I think I think the the fact that small companies that people can bootstrap a small company on their own by, you know, through revenue, um, you know, because they can get the infrastructure for, you know, the infrastructure is cheap. People have powerful tools. Um, I think that's going to allow a lot more people to get in the game who might have felt intimidated or uh, too far away from where the money sources are to really, um, you know, get funding in any realistic way. So are you, are you <laughs> thinking that maybe the shift, because it's, it's still a shift, right? If, if, for example, rather than you know venture capital and incubators investing millions, that you know they're going to invest like thousands in in millions of companies rather than millions in a thousand companies. I think there's going to be entire spectrum. I think you're going to have a lot of these incubators pop up for temporarily. We'll see how well they work. I mean, just because Y Combinator worked, it doesn't mean that you know that a hundred of them will work. You know, there's only, there's only so many, there's only so many potential customers of online or mobile applications, you know, that there's only so much money that's going to be spent on that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, maybe that'll continue to grow. I mean, maybe it'll be 10 times the size it is now in five or 10 years, but uh, you know, uh, you know, there's only you, with a billion people on a line. I mean, it's, well, it doesn't uh, seem like a very limited market. Well, Sorry, two, two billion. Okay. People okay. So First of all, what percentage of this of this billion or two billion people have any money? <laughs> you know, let's take out. You know, even in the U.S., you know, we have what three hundred million people. Let's take every out everybody. The majority of them that are under a certain age, and a majority of them that are over a certain age, and then all the people who are in prison, and all the people who are impoverished, and all the people who are in institutions, and then we get down to a much smaller number, and and the percentage of those people who actually ever buy or use web apps or mobile apps. You know, so uh, it's a much smaller number. And I don't think you can talk about people who live in sub-Saharan Africa or in Central America. That's a good, that's a good point. You know? I think people point. bandy these numbers around a billion. It's just like, okay, well, if, realistically, you think those people, I mean, how many of, you know, um, the people in sub-Saharan Africa are using, you know, are paying to buy web apps? People in Central Asia, who, you know, I mean, come on. It's, 
so so i guess by <clears throat> by that way of thinking then you're saying the only <laughs> the only kind of businesses you can build are advertising plays because that's the only way you can make money through the masses uh, no, no, I, I don't know. I, th- I think what I mean, what I'm just saying is, is, is there's a really big ecosystem. There's a lot of ways to make money, a lot of different markets. You can, you can uh, build, sell to businesses, small businesses, large businesses, enterprises. You can sell to customers. You can, uh, you know, you know, people, obviously people sell games to customers. They don't just do advertising. Um, and there's companies that get enough eyeballs and they make money through advertising. And it's always shifting and there are always going to be opportunities. And I think the same goes for startups. I think there are, I think there's a, the 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 internet does provide for uh, a democratization of opportunities for writers for software developers for you know a lot of things and so the i think you're right in the sense that there will be a lot more people who are going to understand that they can without the help of any external parties build a self-sustaining business that could be small and maybe only end up small or that could grow and be something substantial. But I also think that there's going to, there's always going to be room for um, investment capital because there are going to be people who would much rather shortcut the process and jump two years ahead and say, look, I'll give up 20 or 30% of my company to get two years down the road so that I can work on hey, something full time. I never said, I never said that, that um, I, 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 I Basically, what I said was that the relationship was going to change. When I very okay. first started, I said dying breed. But what I ultimately said was the relationship's going to change. So if you look at the record industry, there still is large record companies. But you can't tell me that their relationship with the record industry is now the same as what it used to be before the disintermediation. Okay. I, I thought you said that the uh, VC, the venture capital world, and that the, um, the investment and the angels are going to go away. I thought that was the... No, 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 no. They're just going to become less and less important in the grand scheme of what it means uh, to be a startup. So what I'm what I'm saying is is that 99.9% of startups will go through the micro the micro startup route and not take venture funding, and that basically it will be a much smaller deal for the whole of the startup culture. In fact, also uh, Silicon Valley. Anyways, um, yeah. I don't think. Okay, I don't. I don't think that. It, okay, if we talk about startups, is that something that makes at least say a couple thousand dollars a month? Right, a thousand dollars a month, and we can't just say just because someone puts up a web page that that's a startup. So let's qualify a little bit about what what actually makes. I don't know what I, I don't know. I mean, basically, so if I put why up a, has to make any up, money, if I put a blog up there and I put an AdSense, am I a startup? I mean, that's not what we're really talking. Well, if about. if if you have an intention, I mean, just just like it is now. I mean, if you ha- if you have an intention of presenting something to anyone to get funding to build a business, uh, it's the same as if you. Just, I mean, they they don't have any money. They don't make any money. But that you call them a startup, don't you? No, they're not a startup yet. Not unless they're not unless they have. I mean, okay. I know it's a complicated argument. It's kind of like the when does life begin argument. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> right. I'll I'll just define it for for what I'm talking about. Okay, because I have to set a term somewhere for for my for our my. I don't think it can include money. Okay. I I I think that I'm not talking about. Um, AdSense on a, a web page that makes you 50 bucks a month. That's not a startup to me. Um, somebody who's actually trying, and we're talking essentially about startup, um, uh, software-based startups, you know, web, web or downloadable or mobile. That's the kind of startup space we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Maybe yeah, even, so, so content, basically, even, yeah. even some content-based, like, uh, you know, you know, distributing video or documents. I mean, you know, so anyway, stuff, stuff in that kind of 
something so basically it's 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 pretty because here's the thing you you could have look TechCrunch is a startup and all that is is a wordpress blog right but basically it's it's a content play right you so you you would have to consider that a startup yeah okay you know, that all, kind of all thing i'm saying well. yeah that's fine Revision so I, let's, I don't want to get too distracted by a definition of terms because it's not really interesting to talk about but i'm just saying i'm not talking about the this stuff that's not um serious and people aren't putting a uh, you know trying to put something close to at least a part okay internet marketing i think that's what you can say so that you can take the whole of internet marketing kind of subculture of people who do adsense websites and and selling ebooks put that to one side and say that stuff isn't startups. not really a startup in my book that's a different way of making money online but it's not really what i what mm. i yeah that's that's not what i'm talking about either i'm talking about basically building web apps building something from scratch yeah and, and um, actually making 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 money, making money off it and making some yeah, sub, yeah. some reasonably substantial amount of money. Um, yeah. I don't think ninety nine point nine percent is the right number. I, I think that you know um, if you if you you just want to talk on pure numbers and you want to talk about pure okay let's divide the pie in terms of aggregate revenue <laughs> and you want to talk about and if you want to talk absolute numbers so yeah maybe ninety five percent of startups won't be have any funding at all. I don't know ninety nine point nine seems pretty large. Okay. Like, okay. Fine. Fine. Five. I'll, I'll give you that. So maybe five percent okay. of the aggregate. Um, if you, it, I'm talking five years down the road, okay. right? So we're having the same discussion in five years. Yeah. My, my my prediction is that it will be like yeah, ninety plus percent of people will be, build their startup without fun through without funding without angel, through the, the micro route with, through the lifestyle business route. Yeah. Without the yeah through bootstrapping. Let's just say bootstrapping. Yeah. I think lifestyle is, is really pins it in a corner. So you're gonna they're gonna bootstrap it without funding. Okay. But it's but it's not just bootstrapped. It's it's. I'm, I'm kind of saying I'm I'm saying it's it's micro business. It's so yeah, boots, bootstrapped is one thing, but you know, like Google was bootstrapped, and and that's a kind of huge concept, and it's it's going for a huge business play. I'm not even saying Google I'm, was I'm saying Google was funded. Well, it wasn't fu- it wasn't funded ori- originally. I mean, it wasn't funded until it got to a certain you know massive you know, millions and millions of users. Uh, I, mean, it, I don't it know its, if it was that. It got, it got like a million dollars right out of the gate. No, the, they, not too long. No, it didn't. It got a hundred thousand. Yeah. It got a hundred thousand and that was well after they were getting a million searches kind of thing. Mm, okay. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think it's a million, but okay. So let's just say, well, regardless, they did get funding and they did some of it on their own, right? But I think that's... They did, a, no, they, did, they did a lot of it on their own. I mean, they, they built that thing up. I mean, I, I don't know whether you read the story, but but basically they built that thing up in college and, and they... Um, they had Google was completely being run from college, and they had they were like in servers school. in they all, were all, school. all of the dorms, you know. And um, they added added more servers, and they built it up in a garage, just like Microsoft started in that same way. Yeah. So I think that is kind of that's bootstrapping, and, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about micro businesses, and and maybe some will fall into that category. But I mean, like a lot of people will go after this concept of um, the micro business getting subscription revenue building small amounts of revenue through releasing apps on the app store and all the different ways. So I'm really talking micro business versus bootstrapping. Okay. I mean, um, okay, fine. So yeah, I mean, a lot of people will do things like that without funding. That might be true. Um, you know, but as, as, as their path, as their path to building larger startups and swinging for the fences. Right. I mean, the kind in of some percentages, people will stop right there. They don't have the, they won't have the ambition, um, or the whatever it takes to scale it beyond that. You know, they, they make a little bit of money because they build an app in the app store or something like that. And they, they mm-hmm. just, because you have to cross this chasm where you're making enough money that it can supplant your, your day job. 
right? Right. It's one thing we're making, oh, I made $1,500 last month for this app I made. It's like, well, if your burn rate is like eight grand a month, then you you got to figure <laughs> out a lot. That's a big jump from 1500 to eight grand so that you can quit your job and uh, work on it full time and try and build it bigger than that and without, you know, some kind of, without taking funding. Some people will do it, but I think it'll be a minority, a small minority of people will make the jump between making 500 or a couple thousand to making 10, 20, 30 grand a month. I mean, I suppose the the other way of looking at it is because more and more businesses are starting to make money online in that way, maybe uh, venture capital, the pool will just become, you know, exponentially larger. And then all of a sudden, there will be enough money for many, many thousands of companies. Yeah, I mean, investors are are, look, are always looking on the on the outlook for on a lookout for ways to make money, return on their capital, right? So, if there are ways to invest in these smaller opportunities, they'll do it. And these incubators are are one way that they're investing much smaller amounts. In, in in many more companies and and I think the VCs may participate more and more in that as a, in in just actually well we're gonna we're gonna spread our beds out we're gonna have much less involvement we're not gonna set up boards and set up these complex you know corporate structures we might just be much more laid back about it and put in ten thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars per startup and do ten times the amount of startups they did or a hundred times the amount of startups they did and have sort of incubators be kind of their management firm for those. Type of what's thing. that what's that thing uh that website where they can lend to the third world oh um jeez uh, um it's called micro, anyway it's called you, micro lending i, I can't remember. yeah micro lending so may, maybe there'd be a scenario where where micro investors micro yeah micro investment it just in the same way as you can have micro businesses you could have micro investment and so you could have a portfolio of like a thousand different companies that you invest in and you've invested you know like a couple of hundred bucks in each of them that's actually not a bad idea. It's like creating, it's, it's not an incubator in the sense that, oh, okay, you go and you apply and then we have mentors and you, you come and you stay in, you know, Silicon Valley or Colorado for tech stars or wherever, you know, you just have these companies that are online that says, okay, look, you know, we have X millions of dollars in overall capital. We're always looking to fund things. It fund uh, lots of these little startups that look interesting. If you got something, apply online and we'll invest anywhere from like, you know, 5,000 to 20,000. And, um, I mean, how much do you need to survive on, on a ramen noodle level? Okay. So let's, let's take this to the max. So we've, so go back to that stage where you say, got all these kids coming out of college and they need enough money to live. Right. So if this kind of micro investment thing existed, they could, they could go on and they could get investment from maybe hundred investors who each put in a couple of hundred bucks each, uh, you, and that yeah, would you, give them enough to live. Okay, first of all, you can't like if you're not a if you are not an accredited investor. I mean, you don't have a net worth north of a million dollars, or have made more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars for I think two or three years in a row. You are not an accredited investor, and you cannot invest in private things unless they are like a family friend, right? So, like, because that's well, then you just called it a loan. Well, you could do a loan, but you can't invest. You can't trade equity for it. Right. So you could do a loan, but that's different. A loan is different than uh, investment. And a lot of people aren't necessarily going to be interested in taking loans for their start. Well, that's in America, right? I mean, why couldn't someone set something like this uh, offshore? I mean, there, you know, there are things there. There's some hybrid uh, of this that's sort of like Kickstarter and Indiegogo that you can do. Ec- you can get equity and this and that. And it's really complicated. It was, I know it was on This Week in Startups about a couple, mo- a couple months ago. And I can't remember the name of the company. Yeah. It was really, really um, legally complicated to make it work in all 50 states, and they're even trying to push it internationally. And there's something like that. But generally speaking, I'm just saying that 
normal non-accredited investors cannot participate in in, in the private investment arena. It's going to take accredited investors to do that. Now, that doesn't mean that the laws can't be changed. That doesn't mean that... You know what? I mean, it's that's let's, let's stay realistic. That's not going to change anytime soon. This was a major law <laughs> in the 20s, and it's, you know, after at the end of the, uh, after the Depression. It could be changed in five years' time. It's not. I'll bet you any amount of money that they're not. Because it's, it's there to protect unsophisticated investors from being ripped off by con artists and scams. That's right. why it's there. <clears throat> and, you know... And, and there's not, there's not, there's no political issue or will for people to do that. I mean, people will get ripped off enough just by investing in public companies. And you have all these little private companies, or the little, you know, uh, you know, scam artists are coming out of the woodwork with, hey, invest in this, invest in that. So, right. but that said, it doesn't mean that you can't have um, uh, angel investors, you know, start sort of these micro investment companies that have a thousand investments. I mean, they've, I see, maybe yeah. they invest somewhere between. You know, a thousand and and uh, you know twenty thousand or twenty five thousand into their micro investment first round, and they have literally thousands of small investments. So okay, so it, it could still kind of work in, in the way that I'm saying, but so you so as as an, uh, you could have a site with an accredited investors who could put in maybe anywhere between one thousand and twenty thousand into a business. So so the business could work. In the same way as these micro lending opportunities work, you say, "Okay, I'm looking for fifty thousand so that I can survive the year." Right? You've got two, one or two guys. Obviously, I guess sixty thousand for two guys. Let's say, for example, and then you you maybe have like ten investors who go through this kind of micro investment site, but, put that in, and then that keeps them alive on my, um, ramen noodles for the year, and they build their product. Well, you, you've heard of AngelList, right? Which is uh, a, a Nivy's um, site. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Guys. Okay, so they have something called AngelList where all these uh, angels register themselves, and you can, I think, submit um, like a profile for your startup, and and you can actually try and communicate with some of these angels, and you know, some of the angels will respond, and some of them won't. And there's been a lot of controversy about like the group think of AngelList and things like that. But you could create the same thing with AngelList, but it's like you know, a little different structure where it's not like, it's not the, you know, every angel invests between 25 and a hundred grand or 50 grand. You know, I think 50 grand seems to be like a very common sort of angel, uh, 25 to 50. So you have, you know, five to 10 angels each put in, you know, 25 to 50 grand for a first round. Well, if you had a situation where, you know, the, the range was, was sort of, um, a thousand up, uh, you know, f- 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 I mean, anywhere between five hundred and maybe five thousand, yeah. right? And you're just you're just really spreading your bets out, and it can be a lot of smaller stuff where it's like, okay, you invest in all these mobile apps, and you say the mobile app may only be projected to make twenty grand, maybe total over like a two years span of its of its lifetime in the app store, right? And mm-hmm. but you the total investment was say you know three grand. <laughs> And, uh, and the investment group gets, you know, 20% of the returns or something. I mean, you could come up with some equation where if you, fa- if you do that, then you end up with pretty good um, risk-return ratio for that investment group. But you also have a way for all these independent developers to build a track record, have a portfolio of things that make money, and get investment for like, hey. That get- would be so awesome. And, and you know what? That, here's, here's the thing. We're, we're creating micro-businesses, well, I am right now. And we're thinking of this play that essentially is <laughs> a play that would be really well well to do to be kind of venture funded. 
<laughs> what we're just describing. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, you could, you could do something like that. It'd be, it'd be fun to start. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, this is the kind of thing you could try and bootstrap it in a sense. You could try and go and talk to a bunch of angels and say, Hey, you know, why don't we create something kind of like the angel list, but it's called the, you know, the micro starter list or something micro, you know, start yeah. something. And it's, and you could, it could be aimed at a combination of web and mobile apps and maybe you could get, you know, people interested. I mean, you could do it one of two ways. I mean, you could take investment and have, um, some managers on the site, you know, like these incubators choose who they're going to fund and who you're not. Or it could be yeah. like AngelList where it's like, you know, the angels go on, it's kind of fun. It's like, ah, I'll invest in that mobile app, I'll invest in this. I think, I think that disintermediation model would be much nicer. I think where more, angels can... I think it'd be more, yeah, more fun, fun. because I think yeah. investors, angel investors are, are doing it to be part of the story and to help out and, and to help out entrepreneurs, not just to make money. If they just want to make money, there are probably easier, simpler ways to... to well, it would also be fun to become, like, I mean... It, I wish that existed right now. I mean, I'd, I'd do everything I could to become an accredited investor so that I could start putting in a, a thousand into a few different ideas, you know? Yeah, um, so it's like micro-lending, except it's micro-investing. Micro-investing, yeah. Okay, so the next thing I want to talk about is the, where this whole thing has, has kind of sped up something in my mind. Like, I, I was thinking that when Plugio turned over 3,000 a month, that I was going to do a, whole, a course like um, Amy Hoy's course, basically working with some people to help them build web apps. Because I think I pretty much have all the pieces now, um, especially seeing the growth that um, Plugio's got. So I, I was, did I tell you about that? I told you about this, didn't I? No. no. I, I didn't tell you that I was thinking about doing that. Oh, but you were doing Amy Hoy's course? No, no, that I was thinking about starting up a, a, a course. Yeah, you've where, been talking about that, yeah. I've been, talk, I've, I've been talking that for like six months, and we and you you said it was a good idea. Um, I think when I mentioned it to you. Yeah, my only hesitance for me, like you, you were talking to me about, did I want to be involved? And I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't feel comfortable giving advice or telling people how to do it until I feel like I've done it in a substantial way in my own. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I well, had, I felt I, that's why I, I felt like when Plugio was turning over three grand a month, I felt like that would be, as far as I'm concerned. That's got it. That's got it to a point where okay, I've proven all of the bases there. Okay. Um. um well, because at the end of the day, I built the the, the first thing was uh, choosing an idea, um, building the app, getting the customers to use it, and then essentially let it slide for a year. And I I got all that first stuff right. Right. Because the same customers used it for a year. I just didn't get... They continued the, to pay the, and they I, never left, or most of them... They continued to pay and they never left, exactly. But you, just, you, and, just, and that, you hadn't figured out a way, a customer funnel. You hadn't figured out a way to bring in new customers. Yes, which is what recently, I figured yeah. out now. Yeah. And, and if, you, if you look at the... Basically, the growth within the last three months has been 200%, like actual revenue growth. So that's pretty kind of significant. 200%. Based- now, I'll ask you a question. Uh, okay, the you, you, one thing you were telling me the other day, and I think it'd be it's worth mentioning on the show is that you've hired your brother-in-law. Is that right? To, uh, right? Yeah. Well, right? he's not my brother. In, he's not my brother-in-law. And I don't know if, if he plans to be my brother-in-law, but he is my wife's sister's boyfriend. <laughs> wife's sister, boyfriend. So, okay. <laughs> okay. He, he, may, he may be a brother-in-law one day, but I don't know. <laughs> I see. Okay. Okay. So he's your boyfriend-in-law. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or something. Uh, so um, he, you hired him $500 a month to write a post a day about uh, Twitter and bi- about using uh, Twitter as a marketing tool. And he's writing good quality posts as he's learning and figuring it out himself and posting them on the Plugio blog, sort of as an SEO strategy for creating interesting um, 
interesting content about how to do that, how to use Twitter for, you know, for, for moving your business forward, right? Yeah, so it's, 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 a double, it's a double strategy. It's like, since I don't understand the, the finer aspects of SEO, this is more along the lines of just writing good content. It's more along the lines of kind of approaching something like a hacker news concept of putting good content out there and hoping that it goes somewhere with the double whammy of the fact that because an article's going out every day, it will get long tail SEO. Just, it just will, right? I see. Right. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's pretty good. Cool. You're spending $500 a month for that. And so it's worked out because he's able to crank, he's a good writer and he's able to crank this stuff out with in a reasonable amount of time. Right. He, yeah, he is. Well, well, you know what we've done because at, at the end of the day, Plugio is a tool for people to market on Twitter. So what I said to him, I, I basically said, look, your task is to learn is, is to get a thousand followers using Plugio and to learn how to do it. And as you do that, just blog every day, a couple of hundred words, what the experience is, you know, how you're finding it. And, uh, so basically people can learn as you go, just the same way as with our podcast, people learn what we do as we go. How, how many has, how many users does he have, followers does he have so far? Well, he's been going, he's been going a week and he now has a hundred followers. Okay. Not bad. So, so, so what the goal I've given him was to get a thousand followers and then to strike up, com, um, after he's got a thousand followers of small businesses to basically strike up a conversation with those thousand, thousand followers and say, Hey, you know, what's going on? Would you like to be interviewed on the Plugio blog? And just, so just kind of give them some value and, um, hopefully, that some of those people, as they discover Plugio, may decide to sign up and use it. Okay, cool. I, I thought yeah. that was interesting. I thought it was a good idea. It's yeah, not, I think it's cool that you're doing that. Okay. So, so the growth, the growth point from a growth point of view, if we look at December's figures, in the first 19 days of December, there was 537 revenue, and that's okay. basically that was basically the same every month for the for the previous kind of year, right? Okay. Now, about 500, about in, 500 and you said it was about $500. 537 for, for the first 19 days. And why, you think, first 19, why are you using 19 days? Is it just. I'm using 19 days because it's, it currently is 19 days into the month of March, and I've got accurate metrics going back every month for the. So I want to give the most okay. up to date figures possible. Okay. Right? Okay, I get it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, up until December, for 19 days for every month, 500 bucks a month. Okay. Now, in March, which is basically January, February, March, 19 days, it's 989 bucks. Nice. That is literally almost a 200, 100% growth. Right. That's great. In, in three months. So, so I really feel that I've got my, you know, my head wrapped around how to, because a, a, remember a big part of that, I, I, ha I hadn't even started the real marketing. All I did was I very, very tightened up the, um, the sales journeys of the site and uh, captured people to sign up in a way that I was, it was like a leaky bucket. The site was just like a leaky bucket. So what I've done now is I've tightened everything down and I'm basically squeezing all the blood out of the stone. And that's a hugely important part of it for this web app yeah, business. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think obviously the thing you learned, the, the, the really big obvious lesson is you've learned to the importance of marketing to building a startup. It's not just about building some cool software. It's like, it's, it's rare that you can just build some really cool software and then just do nothing and then it just grows like magic. It's like you have to do the hard work of of of. of well, here's marketing. the thing: and I I haven't actually started marketing yet. You like, haven't done, well, that, gro okay. that growth of 100 percent is not about marketing. It's about Cust optimizing. It's just funnel customer funnel optimization. Yeah, exactly. Customer like there there was already a small number of people coming to Plugio every day. 
just 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 through search engines like there always will be like if you look at prezo i mean I, you probably don't have i know you've stopped prezo but you always had pre- people landing on prezo every day i mean yeah. people just kind of stumble across it don't they yeah 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 Huh. Okay, so you haven't done any marketing and you're growing just by customer. The question is, I wonder if that'll continue to grow. I mean, I guess it will continue to grow because of word of mouth by your current customer base. Well, no, because now I'm marketing. So now now what I've seen, now if, if what I've been doing very carefully is logging how many people are signing up to the kind of the, the funnel starters that I've set up. So I've got, I've got two or three major funnel starters now. One of them is like a five-day drip course explaining how to use Twitter and how to use Plugio. And you can just type in your email and you're on that drip course. Another one is you get statistics. Um, it, it, Plugio will just send you weekly statistics about Twitter. Right. And then another one is a Plugio free account. So if it, now that I've actually started the marketing, I've got the blogging going, I've got, you know, I've, I've, I'm just working from that marketing. My daily signups to each of those funnels has, has grown, you know, a lot. Okay. So I'm, what I'm, what's going to happen is I'm going to start seeing more people uh, going through to the completion of the funnels that I'd already optimized. Well, that's great. The other thing I would say, you know, and this is, um, I, you know, I maybe I'm, I think I'm maybe just more conservative than you are in this respect is I might wait to get a little more revenue before you start creating a course. I would spend time thinking about your course, maybe creating your course, but I wouldn't try and go live with it and really get it going until you reach a little higher number because um, it's kind of like in, 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 in stock trading, right. In trading, like, so it's like, if you have some trading strategy that's worked and you're like, Oh, I've made so much money in three months. People are like, yeah, you could have just gotten lucky. I mean, they, they in generally speaking to get big investment to like a hedge fund. So let's say that you start like a trading, a hedge, a hedge fund, a hedge fund is essentially just a company where you're going to trade, trade stocks, futures stuff, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And you, and let's say that you and I, we, 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 we want to trade, we, we have some trading strategies and we think we're, we're sharp and we, we go out and we start trading and we do really well for three months. Let's say we like, you know, 50% return in three months. We're like, dude, we're awesome. You know, if we went and, 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 and walk and we went and, and, and tried to raise investment, most investors would look at that and say, come back to me after you have four years of, of audited returns. Um, mm-hmm. Because they, they want to make, they want to take as much of the luck out of it. Like it could have just been happening that, the market structure as it is, the volatility the, of the market, we, were, we just happen to be in a bear or bull market, and that's kind of what you guys tend to do. It worked temporarily, so they want to see you trade throughout different sort of market regimes. And um, I think in a similar way, it's like the longer your track record is, the more credible it is. And, you know, and I'm not saying that you haven't, you're not establishing some credibility. You have created something that's making money and that's continuing to grow, but I think you'll have much more credibility if you can, say, reach the... T- five, but even much more than 10,000, like you're completely financially independent. Like it's hard to argue that you don't have something to teach if you have created a software business and now you're completely financially independent as opposed to saying, well, you know, I started with nothing and I'm making, you know, three grand a month. I just think it's, it's a much harder sell. And I would just it, think you might want to bide your time, create the content on the side, but not really create it until you say, okay, I've, I've hit it 10 grand a month. You can't really argue with that. I agree with you. Um, I, I actually completely agree with you. Um, the only thing that I want to say that's slightly different is what I've realized is it's not a course that I want to build mm-hmm. that I want to do something different to build a course. Okay. Um, and what I want to do that as far as I can see, there's no reason why I can't do that sooner and still have credibility. And I'll, and I'll talk through that with you now. So a course would be like me doing something like Amy Hoy, where I, you know, I had 10 grand revenue coming in the bank. And I was building lesson by lesson on how to how to make that work and how to fix that. 
Right. That's actually not what I want to do because what I've realized is that doesn't scale the way that I want this to scale because what I've truly realized from the last few days is I'm extremely passionate about many thousands of people becoming financially free through micro business. Okay. That is actually my real passion because it's what I've always wanted. And I think that there's a lot of other people who want it, who want to just kind of break free of their, their job and start their own little be your, business. Be your own boss, be your own man. Be your own boss. And what I've been thinking about is what could I establish that could make that happen? And I've been looking at my experience. And for example, one of the, one of the key growths, the key reasons that I've grown is because of the mastermind, right? Like it's having those six guys to talk to every week and make promises to and living up to the commitments and getting the, the advice, you know, the incredibly salient advice. Like when you get that group of six people masterminding about something, Jesus, it makes such a big difference. Right. Um, so the overall thing that I think I want to start, and I've registered a domain for this, and I don't know when it's going to start, hmm. but I'll tell you, I'll just kind of brainstorm with you my ideas. It, okay. it's, this is an emergent business concept, but okay. I'm just brainstorming it out with you now okay so the 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 domain name is um webappguild.com okay. so because guild i like the connotation of guild right yeah i like it's, guild it, i like guild i i wonder if web app is too specific you might want to say like app guild could be mobile or web yeah that's a good point app guild so maybe i'll register it's shorter that too if, you, if it's if it's available so so in, in terms of a in terms of this thing that that i build or that we build or whoever you know whoever's involved in it right the, I'll just use the term web app guild for the moment. Okay. I think it has three, three or four different facets that I'd like to promote. So one of them is, is just like Hacker News has a kind of link section, uh, promoted link section. I'd like this, this app guild to have that promoted link section. And that's just about micro business, essentially. Well, it can be about whatever it wants, but generally speaking, it's about micro business. And also it has like a Huffington Post style section where people like Rob Walling and Amy Hoy and you and me, uh, us less than those other guys, because they're more proven than we are, can post, can post to this kind of general Huffington Post style blog. So there's like free, free resources for people interested in micro business. Right. And so you can get in there. And then what I was also thinking is that to, to kind of become a member of the web app guild, like it, there's, there's different levels. Obviously you can just be a free person who participates but a way that it could make revenue for me and the way that it could make sense, you know, I can bring value to the people who give me money and they can give me money and bring value to me. And what I was thinking was that a kind of model I had in mind was every three months, uh, 60 people could come into the guild, right? And pay a thousand dollars. And for that thousand dollars, they were a member of the guild for life. And what they got back from it was that I would kind of carefully screen them and match them up into mastermind groups, maybe 10 mastermind groups of six, right? And match them up in such a way that different people with different levels of experience were in each mastermind group. So you would want to try and put one person who was already at the point where they were earning a thousand a month right. into each of those mastermind groups. And you'd want to put other people who were kind of beginning in those groups. And you'd also want to set up the mastermind groups so that they were matched up from, t from a time zone point of view, right? Mm -hmm. And you'd also want to only bring people into the system who it really looked like they were actually going to do something. So in a sense, there, there is like a selection process that would need to be done. I mean, it, it's not like people just give me a thousand dollars and all of a sudden they're part of the guild. Like, it's not like that. Just like, just like with Y Combinator, they would still need to kind of go through an application process 
and and still kind of convinced the guild that they were really serious. So e- even though they were paying money, they still probably wouldn't have a hundred percent chance of getting into the system. Okay, see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> then also, I I was thinking I could cut a deal with um, Amy Hoy and Rob Walling and some other people, so that as soon as they they had paid that thousand and they were in there, they were accepted. They then got instant access to that content that Amy and Rob had written because th- those courses are already written by those guys. That information is already out there. I mean, it's not to say that I don't want to write a book. I do. I want to write a book about this, but I still think that something like this could exist before I get to my revenue. I could just be another a, another member of the guild. You know, I mean, I have my own little mastermind group that's in there sure. uh, and learning. And I was also thinking that the guild aspect um, people could have different levels and different titles. So you could use kind of game theory in it that people could gradually progress through the guild. So you could start off as an apprentice. And then if you had, for example, a thousand dollars revenue a month, you could be called mentor, you know, mentor level one. Mm -hmm. And then if you had like 5,000 revenue, you could be mentor level two. And that could be another way that we could switch around the mastermind groups. And then maybe a year down the line, we may have a scenario where we had like five people all earning 5,000 a month and they need to progress. So we need to create and we need to do a new little mastermind group and say, all right, this mastermind group are now heading for a, you know, a hundred thousand a month kind of thing. Right. Right. What do you think? Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, you know, it could probably work. I mean, it seems like a, it sounds like kind of a lot of work. It sounds kind of similar to, to what Amy and Rob are already doing, isn't it? I mean, not, not in the, I mean, in the sense that they... I don't think it's... I'll tell you why I don't think it's similar. I mean, it's, it's more similar to what Rob's doing, but it's still slightly different. Um, it's, I don't think it's similar to what Amy's doing because Amy can't... What Amy's doing can't really scale in the way that I'm thinking that this thing can. Like, this thing can scale... It, it's, it's only really for the first year that I would need to be very involved in the kind of um, application process and helping people out and talking to, talking to people, talking to all of the members. But ultimately... Like originally the money would just go to basically keep me alive and pay my way. But ultimately it just, it just become a thing in its own right. And essentially the kind of payment to get in essentially acts is a big part of just showing how kind of serious you are about it. And it it could, it could scale to, you know, many thousands of people and it could become a system that could basically be this disintermediated system that I'm talking about, where it's each of the little mastermind groups who are looking after each other and helping each other out rather than, some centralized so it's more like it, it, what it's more like is rather than a client server it's more like a, a torrent track you know a, a bit torrent tracker right, right. Mm-hmm. see what i'm saying it's yeah. like that so that's the kind of way well, you're that facilitating it's um ma- uh, startup mastermind groups facilitating startup mastermind groups and micro business on a mass level like literally there could be ten thousand startups yeah, we've talked system. about this idea for a while, right? I mean, this isn't this yeah. is something you've been thinking about for a while. I think we've definitely had conversations, at least offline, about it. So, um, no, no, and I, I blogged about it, but but my ideas before were much more controlling. Like, I my ideas before were to make one kind of mega company and guide all of the workflow through that company, and I, I was thinking of more like a wall garden. But now I'm thinking, no, it's not. It, you know that that can't really work. Okay. This could work though, because this is more like autonomous, small autonomous units. Right, right. Um, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> you don't sound very impressed. <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, I think I've had the same feeling about ever since the beginning, which is that, and maybe it's just because I'm not that interested in uh, in 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 uh, in uh, sort of facilitating that kind of stuff. It just seems kind of um, exhausting to me. I just sound facilitating people. 
you know, where, uh, people's learning processes and, and group formations and stuff. It just sounds like kind of, um, it sounds like a lot of work and kind of a lot of headache to me. Because like, maybe it's just because I don't really want to do that kind of a thing. Well, to me, I'd, I'd love to do that. I mean, yeah. basically the idea of enabling thousands of people to, to you know, to become financially free and building like a, a replicatable system so that they could do that to me would be awesome. And it doesn't preclude me from building my own little startups within the system. I mean, I would just be another little kind of ant <laughs> in the system learning from, from the other mastermind mentors, just like anyone else. Yeah. Well, are you going to do it? I, I, you know what, if I'll put it to this way, let, let's say for example, I could get commitment from, I guess, 30 people that they were, they were up for it. They wanted to go for it. Um, and, and in other words, that's 30 people who were prepared to spend a thousand and to get to, to get this started. Yeah, I would go for it. I'd, I'd do it. I'd, I'd quit my day job. I'd, I'd start building it, work on it full time. Right. Right. But it's just like, I don't know. I don't know when I, when, or if I could get them. I don't know whether what I've described so far is a compelling enough well, argument just for people to, to give up a thousand dollars. Yeah. I mean, I think you may have to start less expensive and, and I think your credibility will rise as, as Plugio becomes more and more successful. I think it'll be easier and easier the bigger Plugio gets. Uh, well, so, so I, then, then I wouldn't start there. So basically what I would do is I would wait till, because I, I, I wouldn't start this without that $1,000 price point. That, that just doesn't make sense to me. So what I would do is um, I, I may start the aspects of it where the appguild.com just exists and it has like the Hacker News style link submission system, the Huffington Post style blog. But I wouldn't actually start the, the mastermind matching thing yeah, so you start the community building way. first. I mean, I think that's not a bad yeah. idea. It's like you build something that doesn't cost people money, but you kind of pull in a community, and then you can build on top of that. Um, I think that's the way to start. Start something, start something like that that's community-oriented, non-revenue generating, and then when you get a, as your community grows and you have you know, thousands and thousands of, of people who are involved in it on a daily basis, plus and at the, uh, you have the added... Um, uh, credibility of Plugio's growth. So when, when Plugio by that time is making, you know, maybe 10 grand a month. So let's say Clubio's, Clubio, Plugio is making 10 grand yeah. a month, right? You're, you're, you're financially um, solely financed by that one entity. You have that story to tell and that experience to pull from. Um, and that buys you more time. And at the same time, the community has grown. So you have a, 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 a lot of ready potential members, I think that's mm-hmm. what you want to do. I think you do those two things at the same time. And then you can start, you know, potentially, and then you can use those, that you can, you can communicate with those people and, and, and see if you can sell them the idea. Say, here's what I'm thinking about starting and see what the reception is. I mean, because if, if the group of people who are submitting links and reading stuff off this site or whatever, um, if those people aren't really interested in, in your, in your, um, what you think you're going to offer, then that'll tell you something. Yeah. Yeah. I well, I mean, it's, <clears throat> you know, it, it's something I'm very passionate about. Like, I, it, well, that's a good thing. It, that's a good thing about the web. That means nobody's stopping. You can do it, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but I think it's, I think right. you want to. We want to f- follow on the advice, which is start with something that's achievable now and grow towards that. And I yeah. think it's harder to. I think it, it, it'll be easier to do that. You don't want to waste time trying something before you're ready. And um, I think these the, the two things we just talked about: plug your credibility, credibility, and and growing a community. Um, those will will make that 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 third step much easier. So I've seen that um, appguild.com is is not available. So I think I just go with web app guild. I mean, 
Uh, yeah. What do you think? Just app, AppGuild.io? I mean, yeah, I would go with AppGuild because I just think I don't think you want to limit to web apps. I think it's the, the mobile space is too huge. There's too many opportunities in in apps. I think it's too specific. Would be my guess. I go yeah. AppGuild.io or something. But um, can I bring up some topics here? Yeah, of course. Sorry, this whole, <laughs> I'm sorry, so sorry. I've just totally taken over this whole thing. Although it's going to be a long one because we've <laughs> we're, we we are at the one hour thirty, but that's not a problem. Wow, so you squeeze me in a corner. Okay. So, I'm so sorry, Jason. Oh, but look, hey, a, hey, come wow. on, dude, dude. For the last 114 episodes, it hasn't been this way, right? <laughs> no, it's fine. I don't, this I don't is care. different. I don't care. I just had a couple things I wanted to bring up. So um, <laughs> last night I went and saw the uh, the movie Limitless with uh, Pat Maddox. You um, you ever heard? Limitless? I didn't know Pat Maddox was a movie star. No, no, no. Yeah, no. I went with him to see the movie. <laughs> he was not in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Ooh, you yeah. and Pat are getting all cozy. Well, you know it's funny. so Sandy took the uh, kids to visit her parents for the weekend, and um, yeah, and uh, so I, and I just stayed home to work. And of course, I don't. I'm not going to work on a Friday night. And um, you know, it's like the thing is that when you're going to go, just call and hang up. I mean, all all my friends who have kids and are married. I mean, you know, they're not going to go out there. They're otherwise occupied. So you end up having to call one of your friends who is are single. And, he's, and I'm now too far away. Yeah, you live. 45 minutes away. So he's one of the few people I know. I'm like, Hey man, let's, let's grab a movie. So anyway, limitless was good. I would recommend that. I thought it was really good. It only got like, you know, six out of 10 stars and stuff, but I thought it was particularly interesting, you know, because he takes this kind of drug called NZT, which sort of makes him like, you know, 10 times smarter. Yeah. And, uh, it's such an, it's such a, uh, an ex, a, a sort of fascinating, um, idea of doing something like what would that so he's like thinking 10 steps ahead of anyone else yeah, exactly right right right. it was really funny during the movie though is i kept predicting what was going to happen every next time i go okay watch this, this is going to be his boy the girlfriend's going to do this or this or this and he's like dude did you take nzt <laughs> I'm like, did i nzt the shit out of that movie it's like, Dude, why, why couldn't you just shut up and let him watch the movie i don't know because i had to, <laughs> I, had to I had to show off you know <laughs> mental problem no it's i i love predicting plots because it's it's kind of come to a point where pe- where the plot writers will try and go on some kind of tangent they'll take that tangent as far as possible and you can almost predict what the tangent's going to be because it is the most outlandish thing that could possibly make sense so anyway i would um i'd recommend it but you know one thing that was interesting we talk about predicting people's um moves yeah you know 10 steps ahead which is what um he was kind of doing in the uh in the movie I mean, which is which, which everybody's seen in the preview, so I'm not giving anything away. But there's this interesting book I'm, I've been reading called the Predictioners, the Predictioners Game, by Bruce Buena de Mesquite, and yeah. um, he's a professor of I don't know, like political economy and at uh, at uh, NYU, and he's also has some position I think at um, at Stanford. And what he does is uses game theory to predict what's going to happen in certain situations, and <laughs> you know, like the the a number of the governmental agencies have used his expertise to try and predict like, well, who, which, what party is going to win election in say Pakistan and yeah. all the CIA analysts and state department, they went through all their analysts and their deep uh, analyses and, and, and they were wrong. And he was right. Like every time, because what he would do is he would model um, each player in the, in the sort of game, right? So each political party, each element, and each one he would have in his software would work to their own self-interest at that stage, right? Yeah. And when you model all that, um, it comes out to be a very accurate predictor because people as individual entities, agents, uh, 
act in their own self-interest almost every time. Interesting. And that's a great way of predicting what's going to happen. So you'd break it down. And like, it's almost like I was thinking about, I was watching the um, ESPN this morning and they were looking at the brackets for the March Madness for the big college basketball tournament. And you yeah. go through the first bracket, say, like, well, this team plays this team, which one's going to win? And they advance to the next one. And you go look at the other ones. And so you just kind of go through the tree to figure out who's going to be in the finals and who's going to win based on each matchup. And that's kind of similar to these, 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 this game theoretic um, sort of framework of analyzing an outcome is you look at all the individual parties and how they interact with each other and what's their best interest and what they're going to do. And it kind of reminded me of what, Limit, what the guy was doing in Limitless in his brain. Like thinking many moves ahead, you have to look at all these different variables and what's going to happen in each instance and how it's going to play out. That's interesting. And when, <laughs> can we get that guy on the show? Um, I don't know. I mean, he's <laughs> maybe. I mean, he's he's a really big deal. He's written a bunch of books and a ton of papers. He's one of the most... Well, you've, you've already... But bagged a few have got you know a few guys like that onto the show i don't know we'll try i mean you know it would be awesome to have him on I, I there was a big um history channel um show that was based on his work a couple months ago um i'm reading you know maybe after i finish reading his book i'll send him an email I'll see maybe he'd be willing to come on it would be fascinating uh yeah you should do because that. The first, one, of the, one of the books that i read and i god just i can't remember it off the top of my head um i need some of that nzt <laughs> but um you know the coffee just isn't coffee is like a poor man's nzt well, yeah. it's it's funny. To, just talking about, just very quickly interjecting there, um, talking about coffee and NZT, like I have basically given up alcohol and coffee for seven days. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, my, my thinking has just got so much clearer. Really? Yeah. Huh. Well, you were supposed to be off alcohol anyway because of your... Because um, of the, di- the, the whole diabetes, diabetes and the, gluten yeah. insensitivity. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm just. I feel like I'm just thinking much clearer these days. Interesting. So well, I'd, I'd say go off coffee. I don't know because there's been some. Um, there's been some uh, studies that have shown that coffee uh, makes you get. You're more productive because the, you feel less fatigued by the work. You're more alert. But right. I'd have to double check on that. That's the, the studies. I've, I've, I feel like I've read a number of like studies, or at least the summaries of the studies, are as reported in the popular press. Like this is essentially the issue. So anyway, I, I was gonna say I read this one book about seven or eight years ago called *Prisoner's Dilemma*, and yeah. it was about um, you know John von Neumann and game theory. And game theory. You know, *Prisoner's mm-hmm. Dilemma* is one type of very simple game, mathematical game, um, and uh, you know, *Prisoner's Dilemma* being that like, so the p- police arrest. You and your but let's let's say that we're you and I are going to go rob a bank, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> right, and we get caught. <laughs> but before yeah. I say, Justin, listen, if they if they interrogate us, we both didn't do it. We both know nothing. You know, like admit to nothing, right? Yeah, and you're like, yeah, yeah, got it, okay. And so they take us into the police station. They put us in separate rooms with separate detectives, and the guy comes up to you and says, "Listen, Justin, um, we think Jason was the mastermind behind this, and that he pulled you in." And we think Jason's a bad guy. Um, and we really don't want to see you go to prison because you, you kind of got pulled in by this guy. So if you are willing to say that, it, you know, that it was his idea and he pulled you in, we're just going to let you off with uh, a year of parole and no prison time. Now, if he says that you did it and you, then you could end up going to prison for five years. Right now. But if we, if neither of us, um, or, or, or point the finger. If we both shut up, then we'll both say get six months in prison, right? Yeah. So or a year in prison or something like that. So you're thinking, okay, I, and I, I don't know if that payoff might be slightly skewed. Maybe it's like you know, but you get the picture, right? So you're like, if 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 we both shut up now, and if we both point the finger at each other, 
then we're both going down, right? We're both going down for like three years or something, you know? And so the, the guy says, um, it's the, the guy says the same thing to me, right? Well, that's, that's called prisoner's dilemma. Like, what do you do in that situation? And there was a, um, there was a game called uh, Iterated Prisoner's Dilemma where you play the Prisoner's D- Dilemma game over and over and over again. And the way they did this is, say, okay, let's say that you and I sit, uh, uh, we're sitting like a cubicle and, and there's a screen in between us, okay? And there's two buttons, which one says cooperate and one says defect. And we're going to play 100 times in a row. And so, you, I, so, so we go and each of us hit a button, right? And if we cooperate, we get... If we both cooperate, we get uh, a point. If we both defect, we get nothing. If you cooperate and I defect, if, if, if you cooperate and I defect, which means I screw you when you're trying to cooperate, then yeah. I get like five points or something, you know, <laughs> right. or three points. And so but that, well, that's just like rock, paper, scissor. Yeah, yeah. So it's cooperating defect. So you do it over and over again. And um, so you're just like, okay, cooperate and I defect. Ah, and you got zero and I got three points. And you're like, dude, or you get negative, you know what? And then we play again and you, so you're like, all right, I'm going to cooperate again. Maybe he just knew. And then, and then I defect again. <laughs> I get six points. You got nothing. You're like, all right, screw you. So then you hit defect and then I hit defect and then I defect and we're both defecting. So what, we're getting so nothing. So what's the point of the overall exercise, right? <laughs> well, it's like, what's, your, what's the optimal algorithm? And the guy named, I think it's Axelrod, I can't remember his last his name, uh, Robert Axelrod, and he wrote a book called The Evolution of Cooperation based on this. Um, and he held a competition where they, all these game theorists, computer scientists, mathematicians submitted an algorithm. So they have all their al- algorithms play against each other, and they could mm-hmm. look at what, I think they could even look at the past history of what the other agents did. Or at least, or no, you would just know the history of what you did in that competition. Yeah. And as it turns out, the most optimal um, algorithm is this was the simplest of them all. It was called tit for tat, which means I start out cooperating, and if you cooperate with me, I cooperate with you. If you defect, I will defect. So it's like if you screw me, I will screw you immediately, right? You defect, I defect. Hmm. You know, so you know the next game I will defect. So it's like it keeps people in line. So if you screw me, I'm not gonna let you. I'm gonna make you pay. But if you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. Just know <laughs> you're going to get it right back in your face. And that turns out to be the most optimal algorithm. And that's just, I always found that fascinating, that whole iterated prisoner's dilemma. And there are much more complicated games, asymmetric and that's interesting. symmetric payoffs and multi-party game theory situations. And so this guy, you know, Buena de Mesquite, he uses modeling for much more complicated situations and obviously building, uh, you know, a, a software that would manage the algorithms to figure out outcomes based on these you know, because you can anytime you have competing parties in, 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 and you can figure out what their payoffs are, you can you can you can boil it down to a game theoretic situation. So revenge is the best strategy then. Yeah. I mean, it's if somebody because a lot of times people will go through and they're just like, I want to be a nice person and they get screwed and they keep going to be a nice person. It's like they get keep taking advantage of it. it's like you can't. That's how you get taken advantage of. You want to be a nice person, but you have to sh- you have to demonstrate to people who would take advantage of you that they're going to pay a steep price if they do. And then they'll back yeah, off. Yeah, but if you, but also if you just screw people over all the time, you get screwed over. You, you you can climb a mountain, but one day the rug's going to be pulled from underneath. Yeah, you. Yeah, so you you start out giving people the benefit of the doubt, but every time they 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 attack you, you have to attack them back. And it was it was kind of funny. So Colby got in, um, it was at soccer practice last week. And Colby, for my listeners, like six year old son. <laughs> You're right. And yeah. um, Colby is very very competitive, and he does not like it when people. Uh, he, I've discovered he's not like when people laugh at him at all, <laughs> right? Interesting. And he's playing with older kids who are seven and eight year olds, and he got in trouble because this 
this eight-year-old was laughing at him or made fun of him or something, and Colby blindside tackled him, just took him down. <laughs> Sandy, my wife, right, who was there, got pretty upset about it. You know, she was like, "You can't do that." Da da da. And I told him, I said, "Listen, Colby, you can't do that." But part of me is like. <laughs> I could guarantee <laughs> nice you, one, Adam is not going to be making fun of Colby anymore. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, exactly. I'll take you down. And, you're like, you're kind of thinking inwardly, nice one. I like son. nice one. That's, nice that's, one. that's right. Because, I mean, as I've said, Colby is just, you know, he's built like a linebacker. He's pure muscle. So if he takes you down, you're going to feel it. <laughs> I don't care if you're a head taller than him. But I'm like, that's a good strategy, right? You know, <laughs> you know I'll, I'll get in trouble. You know, fine, I'll take mine, but you're gonna you're gonna go down. <laughs> and um, huh. I had a um, our um, we have a a, a babysitter who uh, we use a lot, and she's she's really nice lady, and she just uh, my kids love her, and she's just she's just one of these people who's just just super sweet, right? And the problem is she gets taken advantage of a lot, and she babysits also for this other family, and the the lady who um, you know, who's her you know whatever who hires her. Is, is, is sort of taking advantage of her, just making a lot of assumptions about like, oh, well, I need you here at this time and I want you to do this. And then just really, just really taking advantage of her. And, and, and Karen is getting very, is getting frustrated and by, the, by the situation. And I said, listen, you know, unfortunately, you're going to have to apply game theory here. You're too far down because she keeps defecting and you keep cooperating. So guess what? She's going to keep defecting, right? Mm-hmm. She's like, well, doesn't she feel bad? Or is she, I'm like, no, I mean, she, she just wants what she wants. It means that she wants you when at her beck and call. And then is it okay to put this on the show? Fine. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, nobody knows who I'm talking about, but, okay. um, you know, and so I had a time when she was over here and she was kind of complaining about, it. And I said, listen, you know, I mean, Sandy and I, we think you're great. We love having you around, you know, we're, we're, you know, we appreciate you. So we try and, you know, be as, you know, as respectful of you as in your time as, as, as possible. Right. I don't want to, I said, but other people may, you know, and like this lady sounds like she's going to just take advantage of you. As long as you're willing to cooperate and be sweet to her and her kids. And, and, and as long as she can take advantage of you, she's going to do it because it's working. Her strategy. Yeah. And, I, strategy, and so yeah. I, I said, I know it sucks, but you're going to have to defect and so when she says, hey, I don't want you to come at three, uh, at three now, I want you to come over at one. And you have to say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I have other obligations. And if she starts to act like she's bluff, like, well, I'm going to go find someone else, say, well, I'm sorry, you know, I, 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 I can be there at three. But it's tough for people who, <clears throat> because look, you're now, now, you're, now with, with that, you're talking about going against your core values, right? And so if your core value and it's, it's your survival method, I mean, it's everything you've learned since you're a child is to be a nice person. And that's been your survival strategy. To basically go against that strategy is incredibly well, difficult. Well, I told her to because do. she's an enabler and she keeps getting involved in relationships with people who are narcissists. And this woman kind of fits that bill from the way she's right. right It's going to be a, 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 a destructive relationship for her. I'm like, you need to get away or you have to rectify it. And I'm like, and I told her, I said, you know, she's just going to take advantage of you as long as you let her. And she's not going to respect you unless you respect, unless you respect yourself. It's not about being nice. It's about respecting yourself. And when someone starts to yeah. take advantage of you, you have to stand your ground and you can be, you know, respectful to her with the way you just, the way you state it, but you could just say, look, you know, um, you know, as I said, I can come over at three, I'd love to come over, you know, and, 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 uh, help you out, but you know, I, I can't do it at one, right. I can't do it, you know, X, whatever it is, whatever the situation is. And I see it over and over again. And, you know, I just, I've just noticed ever since I read that book about applying game theory and I noticed that. I remember sending this big email to my soccer team about four or five years ago, and 
I, I was complaining, I, I was emails about how guys would not come to the soccer games and uh, I'm not come to soccer practice and still come to the games. And I said, listen, it's all game theory, right? So if I let you not come to practice and then I, and then you, I put you on the roster for the game, guess what? You're going to skip practice whenever it's inconvenient, right? <laughs> right, because you're, you're defecting and I'm cooperating. You're screwing me over because you're not coming to practice, which hurts the team, but it's to your personal benefit because it's inconvenient for you, and then you'll just show up to the game and play and you get what you want. So yeah. I said, well, I'm going to defect. So you defect and I'm going to defect. You don't come to practice. You're not, coming to the, you're not on the game roster. At the very least, mm-hmm. you're not going to start. You know, you're not going to play the position you want. So, um, and a lot of people were like, it was funny because it was kind of a long email and, and, and I went on to the game theory explanation of it. People were like, man, did you see that, get that email Jason wrote? What the hell was that? I showed my girlfriend. Like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I just want to play football. <laughs> so, <okay. laughs> so uh, anyway, it was... Um, it, 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 so the whole game theory stuff I found fa- I've, I really find fascinating, and it's a really sort of uh, a, a clear way of understanding uh, a lot of life situations. And uh, you know, I don't know. I kind of got off on a tangent on that, but it's a great book, by the way. Prisoners of Dilemma. If anyone's interested in this kind of stuff, very- Prisoners of Dilemma. No, Prisoners Dilemma, which is the Prisoners which, Dilemma, which not only describes the history of of of, of game theory. Um, like John Nash and the Nash Equilibrium, which people might remember from the book or the movie A Beautiful Mind, um, where uh, John Nash won the Nobel Prize for, for that. But also it talks about John von Neumann, who is one of the world's greatest polymaths of all time. And he um, helped create the, uh, create the field. But, awesome. Uh, anyway, you know one thing? I just want to do uh, two small things I want to talk about real quick. Um, one is um, <laughs> we, uh, we got a lot of... Um, we got a lot of downloads from this new uh, website called podcastle.us where people can submit, um, you know, podcasts. Like- now, how do you know that they come from Podcastle and that they're not just um, a function of the entrepreneur controversy? Um, I, I just think, I think that's the case. I mean, have you, can you check the referrals thing? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, um, that they come from the entre- I don't think so because it was vastly skewed towards an older interview that I, I specifically put up there. Well, no, because we've, because basically on, on podcastle, there's two interviews there. Mm-hmm. There's, um, 113 Jeff Atwood stack exchange. And there's 112, a spaceship is just an airplane. And well, I guess it doesn't matter. doesn't make any difference either way, but for some reason, the a spaceship is just an airplane is the one that seems to be skyrocketing, skyrocketing. Whereas the Jeff Atwood one doesn't seem to be. Well, the thing is that you put, because you put um, a link at the bottom of your post, and yeah. we didn't see a huge upsurge necessarily within like this first twelve hours or something after that. And then I submit it to the podcastle, and then it, and it, then it, that's started okay. to rise. I think. So okay, but, I'll give you that. But you know, we can do a little more research on that. What I would say is, is go to podcastle.us and and vote for those shows because keep help keep those in the most popular, and that'll help us grow the show. Just like you know, voting on iTunes and things like that helps us out. Yeah, and, and please do add a review on iTunes. That would be awesome. A tweet, like, a tweet is good. A blog post a t- is yeah. better. Any, any help we can get, we obviously would greatly appreciate it. Um, and also, what's the story with our donations? Have we, have we um, made any progress in the donation drive lately? <laughs> we haven't. We haven't. Because See, the thing about the donation drive is I feel like there's no point in a donation drive unless we've got something that we're feeling really passionate that we need the money for. Well, you know what we need now? We what? need that um, that piece of equipment that will uh, filter out the noise from 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. right okay. now I'm, I'm I'm using my old headphones because the new headset and and um, input it has like this um, has this noise. Um, okay, because you know what it is? It's because that the equipment is uh, higher quality, so therefore it's it's susceptible to kind of hum from your power system. It's it's kind of it's uh, more finely attuned to to having bad audio coming through because right. it's just kind of higher quality. So what was that? What was the equipment called that you were? A, it was a power conditioner. Okay. Um, so basically it, it, it goes in between you and the power and conditions the power and basically makes sure that you have a really pure power supply and filters out any of the kind of um, the, the megahertz on the power supply that causes hum. Right. And how much, how much does that piece of equipment cost? It's like 150 bucks. Yeah. So we would uh, obviously appreciate any help we can get for raising money for that. And of course we need to, uh, we really got to upgrade this website. <laughs> hey, so, so th- it's texinglive.com forward slash donate. Right. So any yeah. help we can do, we want, we want to buy the conditioner so I can use the newer equipment, get better audio for, uh, for me at least. Um, cause Justin, you already, already sound great. And, uh, also because well, I've, I've got one of those power conditioners going on and that's why uh, you, like I already had that. Yeah. And that's why you, you, there's no noise on your audio. That's my theory. I don't know that for the, the honest truth that's the problem with this yeah. it's, it's just a working theory right well, just, so it could be a wasted 150 dollars. probably not though probably will help yeah. um yeah. so the um of course if it doesn't work we can always you know turn it you know return it and then we can use the money towards the website which okay, still yeah, looks like point. crap um the website does not look it like, looks crap. like the it website looks like looks ass fine. it looks like ass it does, it does. it's <laughs> terrible it does not look like oh, a professional dude. you know radio show website anywhere. it's just awful. okay yeah, true, but it doesn't look anywhere near as bad as it used well, to. Well, I mean, when you right? start out and you're like, you're like on a scale of one to ten, you're a one, and then you get to a three, you're like, oh, we're so much, we're three hundred percent better. It's like, well, you're still a three, you're not even mediocre. <laughs> like, All right, and uh, so, and, and I'll finish off uh, with our uh, our fringe science segment. Okay. So I just saw an article about uh, this uh, group of scientists that said they may have found uh, found Atlantis. <laughs> Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be on, um, I guess the uh, National Geographic um, channel is going to do a, um, a special on it. I think in, um, let me see if I can find the link. Um, hold on one second. I'm sorry. Well, that's all you need to say. Yeah, whatever. It's going to be it's, in it's, the National yeah, keep, Geographic. Keep, keep an eye out. It's gonna, and um, it's called Finding Atlantis, I think is, is what it's going to be called. Yeah. And so th- there is an international group of scientists who were looking at, I guess what they use is they use electrical resistivity tomography which is like an mri for the earth and right. uh, they looked and they could tell that there was this big circular area underneath this marsh in spain and this big um there was this marsh where a tsunami had pushed all this water over this area and has been uh, you know at you know a long time ago and it's ever it's been a marsh ever since and plato plato writes about how atlantis was destroyed by a tsunami <laughs> and it was and it was near the what they call like the pillars of Hercules, which are actually the rock of uh, the of Gibraltar, and which is just at the south of Spain, right off of uh, you know near Algeciras. And um, so it's a likely it's a likely candidate. And they went over and they took core samples thirteen point five meters deep and uh, in uh, under that circular area in the marsh. And the, and and they in it's and they, it was in the um I guess the stuff that they the core sample was was carbon dated four thousand years ago, which is isn't it interesting? Like, the further forward we go in time, the further back we can go. Absolutely right. Well, I always do that with the the giant telescopes and looking into the Big Bang, and you know they, they get closer and closer to 
what may have actually happened. So I don't know. I thought that was really, and they also found these, what they call memorial villages. So it's like after right. the tsunami there or, or whatever wiped out this civilization or what may be a civilization, they found these memorial vis- villages that were sort of moved out from where that was some, you know, some number of kilometers that all had like these ring of water surrounding it. Like it was a memorial of what happened or something. Mm. They call them memorial villages, which are carbonated to the same period of time. So interesting. that'll be interesting. So we may have, Found Atlantis after all, <laughs> or something. Nice. Yeah, so that would be really cool. Um, so you hear, you heard it here first on our. So binge. I think, um, I think that that should be a wrap for this show. With is, we've been going for two hours at this stage. It'll be the longest show of all time. Uh, no, but it's been, it's been a. From my perspective, it's been a great show. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, no. <laughs> but I've done more speaking than usual. But um, yeah, well, I guess you 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 went off your coffee and your uh, alcohol, and now you're just a talking machine. I think we need to get you back on. I think we need to get you back on, so I have some room to talk. Yeah. No, that this this is this is a one off. We'll be we'll, we'll be back on the uh, the fifty fifty thing. Right. Okay. Coming from next year. Well, good night. All right. Um, all right. That's a wrap. We're out.